Hello everyone, I'm Tom Denford, co-founder of ID.coms. Welcome to episode 32 of Media Snack Meets. Recorded each week in New York, we get to meet the individuals and organizations doing great work to inspire success and drive change within the global media and marketing industry. In each episode, we find out what is behind that success, what it takes to make change in the industry, and what the rest of us can learn from that experience. My guest for this episode is Rob Rakowitz, the Global Media Director of Mars, one of the world's largest advertisers, and Rob is based here in New York. There has been a lot of discussion over recent years about transformation, digital transformation, media transformation. What does that actually mean? Well, Rob is one person with a very good answer to that. And at Mars, he's led a two-year program to completely change the way that Mars thinks about media, shifting it wholly from being seen as a cost to the business and instead to be seen as an important investment in the company's future growth. Now, this is far harder than it sounds, needing him to secure close alignment across the business as to the current media operating model and then being sure that everyone agreed where they wanted to go. And it also required a very clear mandate from Rob's boss, the global chief marketing officer of Mars, Andrew Clark, to be able to implement the changes that they needed. Those of you that know Rob will know that he is a very accomplished competitive cyclist representing Team USA in international competition. And he credits a lot of his professional success to what he learns on the road as part of a team which has to work seamlessly together as one in order to win. Inspired by the possibilities of effective teamwork, Rob is also one of the most passionate advocates for the industry to take more responsibility for where advertising dollars flow. And he's been working hard to bring together his peers at other major advertisers to form an alliance for responsible media to tackle what he calls our industry's ocean plastic. It's an important message. In this episode, we cover a lot. We discuss Rob's view of the role of a global media director and how he manages the priorities in that role across a vast organization like Mars. And he shares the scope of the company's recent media transformation program and the advantages of having a CMO supporting the change. And we discuss the importance of thinking about the long-term sustainability of the global media industry. You can check the full show notes for this episode, including a transcript at mediasnackpodcast.com. But without further delay, please enjoy this fascinating and highly insightful interview with the Global Media Director of Mars, Rob Rakowitz. Rob, welcome to Media Snack Meets. Thank you for having me, Tom. Uh, So you are another Global Media Director gracing the Media Snack Meets podcast studio. I really want to dig in again to like what it's like to be a Global Media Director because, and we have spoken to a number of people that we know, right? You and I, kind of mutual friends in that similar kind of role. And I think they're all different. Let's find out what you know your experience has been for the last four or five years uh, as Global Media Director of Mars. Before we get there, I just wanted to reference the fact you and I did a panel, didn't we, earlier this year for the four A's, which is the trade body representing US agencies. And we were talking there about the role of a Global Media Director or a Media Director's role and how that's evolving or has evolved and how that now is having an implication on how agencies work and what work is being brought in-house and different changes of control. So can we start there? Let's just talk about, from your experience of the last four years, what is what is a global media director? What's a job actually involve? Absolutely. So why don't we start about where it is today? And it's drastically different. Uh, there's definitely a lot of what I would say is connecting and building. Um, you basically start out 
connecting media to different parts of the organization because at first you know you're probably going to wor- walk into an organization and might see that media is not as well connected over to creative that to me is almost like level one right um then what you're going to want to do is make sure that it's better connected to the rest of the marketing ecosystem is it connected to with, with the other things that you're doing within communications if you will uh then you know getting into things like e-commerce technology data shopper marketing all of these different areas this is primarily what you're doing because ultimately at the end of the day the media element on it is probably the tip of the spear in terms of what consumers experience it's also probably where we invest the most money and it's probably the sort of canary in the coal mine for change what you find that you're doing is you're doing a lot of internal connections uh, to different disciplines. On the same time, you're actually doing a lot of connections of your own organization into an agency or an agency operating model, depending on how far you actually push that. And then also working with the select partners that you have, whether it's a research partner, whether it happens to be certain media publishers as well, platforms, et cetera. So what you're doing is you're almost... You're you're almost, you know, after thinking about this is almost going back to the 1950s switchboard, you know, where an operator is just, you know, pulling on different uh, cords and cables and plugging them in and making the right sort of connections. And and ultimately, that's that's what the media director has has sort of evolved into is that you almost say you're just driving really good connections at the same time. What you're doing is. You're making some calls um, and you're doing those calls either as a sort of sole practitioner expert and sort of saying, like, look, setting the vision and being able to say, this is the stance that we need to take, uh, setting a little bit of policy. But at the same time, what you've got to do is also marshal people around that policy uh, and that vision, um, because otherwise you're going to run out of steam very quickly. Uh, So what you're doing is you're also sort of setting vision, but you're also creating ways for people to engage with it. Uh, So it's, it's a very, very different role because what that had been historically was, I would say, a little bit slower moving, a little bit more staff oriented. Um, I think this becomes much more around systems oriented. Um, and I would say that would ultimately be the the from two in terms of where the role ha- I've seen the role be historically versus where I think it is today. Uh, it used to be very much about sort of, you know, one size fits all, you know, kind of set a direction. Um, This one tends to be much more, when you talk about systems, uh, it tends to be much more about exploring different models and making sure that an organization can actually scale to it. So it's a big, big role is what we're saying. And uh, it spreads you thin, right, across lots of different parts of the business, internally and externally. I think at the 4As, you said that the role had mushroomed. It's expanded significantly. And other guests have said similar things. Is that that particularly that global role, because you're seen as a go-to internally to be the specialist in some very deep areas, yeah. which I'm sure we'll come on to to discuss. Yet, from the outside, for your external partners, that's fragmented in many places that you have to work with lots of different types of agencies now mm-hmm. uh, these days. How do you? How on earth do you figure out? on a daily basis, what, what the priorities are going to be in the short term and also like long term, what, like what should be the responsibilities of that role? Because you cannot be 
the expert on everything the whole time. And you can't be present everywhere the whole time. So how, how do you make those decisions? Yeah, so um, I, I liken it a lot to plate spinning. Uh, this is actually something that one of our global brand directors once told me uh, when I, I asked, you know, look, how, do, how, do you, how are you successful in, in your role? And he shared with me this analogy of plate spinning because, quite honestly, it's sort of recognizing that there are priorities and you've got to keep certain things at a certain momentum so they don't come crashing down. And at the same time, what you've got to do is also embrace the fact that certain plates are going to fall to the floor. Uh, so I, I definitely think that is the right analogy. So I think that. Um, um, look, I think I've been very fortunate about uh, working with folks who have been able to help sort of embrace uh, a vision and a sort of roadmap for change. What that's allowed us to do is really set what the priorities are and be able to say that less is actually more uh, and making sure that we're actually moving what we would call internally some big rocks around media. Um, so it allows us to sort of say, okay, you know, priority this year is going to be around talent training and structure. You know, it's going to be around making sure that we embed data and analytics, for instance, um, and saying that, okay, we are going to let go of certain other things that we might have done the year prior or that we know are going to be, you know, the next year after. So um, I think the focusing mechanism that you can have internally with stakeholders, internally with your own team, uh, can help. Look, I think that there's absolutely sort of whack-a-mole issues that we have as it relates to brand safety. Uh, for some reason, they always manage to happen Friday, end of day UK, uh, which always has a sort of knock-on effect in, t- in terms of the US. But you've so you've got to, what you ha- also have to do is um, allow yourself a little bit of slack to deal with you know, what would be necessary, you know, a little bit of a, of a, of an urgent issue, not necessarily a crisis, uh, that you have to pay attention to. And, and you can calm, sometimes calm some of those excited responses when YouTube is on the front page of the newspapers, you know, this isn't a trade press issue or a small little industry bubble issue. As soon as I guess it becomes a national news story, then, you have very senior people within your organization start to ask questions, shareholders or other, you know, other external influential people start to ask questions and people start knocking on your door. You have to have a point of view. Lots of people have been talking about transformation and media and you know, changing the way large companies think about media, but you've been actually doing it for the last two or three years. What has change meant in your organization? What's the kind of journey that you've been on? Because yeah. you've led you've led Mars into some really interesting work in media now. Yep. Um, so that's a wonderful question. The scope of change within media or the transformation, if you will, is sort of broadened and it's deepened in the sense that now it's it's starting to look at uh, what I would say is three different areas or three different levels of change. Um, first one is organization, and where does media actually plug in? So we talked earlier about the connections. Second area is, or the second level of change is, is really this idea of people and capabilities. So do you have the right people on the bus? Uh, is there skills or training that you can actually do to, uh, to actually make sure that they can scale to the future of media? Um, and then I would say the third area of change is, is ultimately in the way that campaigns are built, connected, and deployed and measured. Uh, so I think that you know ultimately we've been dealing with change at um, those three levels uh, for the last five plus years at Mars. Um, I've been on board nearly f- five years. 
I would say that the amplification of the change at those three levels has modulated or been more accentuated differently, I would say, in few phases of change that we've had. Um, the first phase that we had quite literally was going from this idea of all media reach being equal to actually becoming more selective around media and actually scaling up and behaving like a global organization. So that was the first phase. And I would say that that probably dealt more with thinking and operating less around campaign, but not really around the organizational connection. Our next phase started to deal with that a bit more, which is where we are currently. And and it's now saying, like, look, media is, is not just a way of getting advertising out the door. It's not a cost. It's actually an investment in growth. It's connected to these different areas of the business. Uh, it's probably first and fastest in terms of uh, using consumer data or behavioral data at scale to think about the way that we invest in media, the way that we optimize a campaign, and the way that we actually measure one. It's absolutely fascinating because what you do is you actually see uh, the changes in the marketplace, changes in the industry, changes in sort of the organization. You know, me as global media director, I am, you know, basically uh, sort of defender of the craft internally, an ambassador for the industry. Because I think it's very, very easy for us as, as global media directors to focus in on what is it that the organization actually needs versus actually being able to step back and say, look, what is the big picture here? What is the meta trend that we're actually uh, facing into? And that to me is absolutely fascinating. And that I think has been a different level of consciousness um, that I've been able to grow. Um, and I think it's been able to add some value, I'd like to think, uh, in terms of the way that we, we look at it and also the way that we've been talking to the industry, the way that we've been uh, you know, partnering Mediacom uh, with some of our research partners, uh, with you guys as, as external consultants in terms of helping us from a benchmarking perspective. So I absolutely think that you know, that, that level of consciousness is, has been absolutely transformational for me. I think it's an advantage, but you're going to tell me the advantage of having a CMO who was a very interested and very then very supportive in this role. I'm assu- I can assume the answer here, but how important is that to have a CMO interested in media? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that sponsorship um, absolutely is a key ingredient for success in media and then also in a global media director's role. I think that if you don't have the sponsorship, then it can very easily just become a talking head and a puppet. Uh, That's not what you want. You want a executive sponsor who is going to be able to say, hey, look, there's a need to change here and is actually going to sign on the dotted line and say, I believe in this case for change. I believe in this vision and we are going to do something about it. What's more to that is you want to make sure that, you know, that declaration of independence or that constitution on media, if you will, uh, that it has other signatories to it. So the other key partners that you're going to have in the business. Um, So uh, in making sure that sponsorship goes beyond just one person and becomes a sort of leadership team buy-in and people actually endorse it and want to embrace it. And that's ultimately where you're going to see better results. What you don't want to do is actually do something in private and have it be sort of a surprise on people. We actually have seen that ourselves historically, and we learned from those lessons. And we said, hey, look, if we want to go fast, we want to go far. The best thing that we can do is share the vision, enroll people, and almost like these concentric circles out 
to make sure that you actually scale the effect of change. To be honest, that as a as an observer of the that process that you've gone through, because we've been privileged to work with you through some of this, observing your ability to bring the organization with you. It's not just having a CMO sponsor is great, but that doesn't then give you the right to take a vast global organization with you, right? You, you then still have to build all of those relationships. And I think sometimes that's the has been the largest barrier to change in, in big, you know, conglomerate or multinational, multi-divisional businesses is that you're not dealing with people that you have necessarily any kind of leverage or influence over naturally, even with the CMO's sponsorship and, and, and mandate, even if it's a mandate, uh, you still have to build support through a network of lots of different businesses spread across many different geographies and time zones and languages and different media markets and different principles. That takes, that's a huge commitment, the will to go do that, right? But what's what's your learning been? Because I've kind of observed some of it, and it's been really impressive the way that the organization came together. But but I think that's the one of the biggest barriers for other companies to succeed. Yeah. How did Mars make that happen? I took personal inspiration from my life outside of work. I am a competitive cyclist, uh, and I've been very fortunate that you know, it's been a natural ability that I sort of discovered a number of years ago. In that, I also discovered true leadership and what that actually means and what it means to be part of a team. And I sort of very intentional about the words being part of a team. And this is actually something that uh, our, our team founder, our director, Sportif, on, on the cycling team is, is very intentional about, is that there's a big difference in terms of being in a group and then being part of a team. And just uh, to be clear on that, Doug, so you're being very modest here, but you compete at not just national, but international level. You represent the country, right? Yes. In, in cycling. And so you travel around the world. This is, this is not like a weekend hobby. You do know what you're talking about. Ultimately, what, you know, that, that idea of being part of a team really has a, a good deal of responsibility uh, to each other. Uh, that you are not always going to be the person who is going to win. You, sometimes you might actually be playing a support role. Um, and it's something that I started to get onto when I was over on the agency side, when I was leading teams. Ultimately, team leadership comes down to three things. Uh, and it's ABC. Uh, accountability. You know, Are you actually doing your job? Are you supporting the mission? Belonging. Are we creating a comfortable place where people can actually be themselves and contribute and contribute honestly. And then communication, uh, when stuff is changing around you and things are moving really quickly, do you have the ability to communicate seamlessly? Do you share the same ethos? Are you sending the same message to other people that are out there? Um, personally, outside of work, I've seen this play out on, you know, in a road race. Uh, and it's been absolutely inspiring to actually see a, t a team be fluid and actually uh, work together. I've seen it all. I've been able to bring it into work and have seen some pretty dicey situations come up in some major decisions, whether it happens to be around sort of se selecting a, an agency partner, you know, structuring something in terms of uh, technology provider, data, uh, whatever it happens to be, and being people actually being able to sort of embrace that. There are going to be people who are going to be ambassadors for change. There are people who are going to be catalysts for change. And being able to sort of be clear about who is going to play what role and what is the dream team that 
I need to enlist around me that's going to help me, one, be better, but two, actually reach this goal. And it was really good because when we did, we, we, when we were saying like, look, we are going to do this transformation agenda, we did sit down and we did say, who's the dream team? Who can actually sort of say, I'm not going to be part of a group, but I'm going to be part of a team. Uh, and it was very clear. And we've had to have some very, you know, frank conversations as we were going through things where it's kind of like, okay, guys, let's pair back here. Let's gauge where we are. Let's talk about these tensions honestly. And you're able to go a lot deeper, a lot more intimate um, and much like the way that you would be if you're, you know, hanging on somebody's wheel, you know, in a draft on a bike at 35 miles an hour. You're able to sort of know exactly what's going to happen. If you're in a meeting with a bunch of different stakeholders, either internally or externally, you want to be able to know what direction that person's going to take when they're actually fielding the question. Um, so it's that same level of intimacy, except it's just a different, different context. Yeah. So it's t- I know it's taken a lot to to bring the organization together. That you know, it's taken a huge amount of work for you to build those relationships, and that's hard work. And so for other marketers that might be listening to this that are at the bottom of that mountain, right, or they're at the base camp looking up and thinking. We're learning from other businesses, and this is the kind of we know we have to influence this kind of change, but it's an overwhelming task across a very large organization. And I hear from many other global media directors who had similar roles to you, but now they are saying, I don't even know where to really start trying to tease out interest in the organization, but they know they have to do something. You've been through that now. I've had people come up to me and be like, oh, wow, the relationship and the collaboration that you have with X or with Y uh, within your organization is unbelievable. I've never seen it before. It's totally inspirational. That to me is almost like an amazing legacy to have. You know, it's it's being clear about who you're going to partner up with and who you're going to ally with. And look, you cannot ally with everybody. You cannot partner with everybody. You've got to realize like, look, this is about concentric circles. Who are my critical contacts and relationships, who are those people's contact, uh, critical contacts and relationships, and then just making sure that you have a clear way of, uh, I would say, connecting and influencing and inspiring people to do things differently in media. I would say competitive advantage areas is not about cracking an idea. It's about people. It's about technology. It's about tools. Uh, it's about learning. If you're not actually bringing together people in a community, if you're not driving intentional scaled decisions, then you're not going to reach your full potential. So I'd say that, look, if you don't do certain things, then you will probably not realize the full potential of media. It will probably continue to be looked at as a cost within your organization, uh, not as a lever for growth. So I think there are many that are toying with the idea, don't not quite know where to start. But I mean, our advice is always you start internally with the organization to identify the team. You know, we, we talk about being more of an engineer because you have to you kind of have to build the system, right? You have more than just being an evangelist. You can't just be the smartest media person in the organization. And that's enough. You've got to bring them bring them with you. Yeah. And, and you don't want to be the, s- the smartest person in the room all the time or forever. I think that what you almost have to do is imagine your own obsolescence uh, or a transfer, a great transfer. And I think that great transfer is in this idea of ownership. 
I think a lot of people talk nowadays about control, and I just think it's a very sort of defensive word. I think the more emboldened, powerful, hopeful word is is ownership. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, or leadership, right? Because at the end of the day, you are putting a lot of money out there into the marketplace. You are doing a lot of things in terms of data and technology. If you do not have a uh, sense of what is my strategy, why am I doing it, and how, then you don't have ownership. I think that a lot of this debate over in-housing and a lot of these finger pointings of agencies to clients and you know back and forth, I think it's a signal of, of people who are, are grasping for ownership. And, and ultimately, that's the root cause. And if you address it, then a lot of these tensions tend to dissipate. And can ownership be shared across those two parties? Or are we saying ownership, there needs, there's a responsibility for the advertiser to take more ownership? I think that uh, the advertiser definitely needs to be the first one to you know, make the the move uh, or the step in the dance. I'm a horrible dancer, so this probably you know analogy is never going to work. Uh, but the, the advertiser's role is to set the tone. Um, but ultimately, ownership uh, can scale over to parties and it can be an agency. It can be a consultancy. If the terms are absolutely correct and the team actually operates cr- uh, across the organization in a way where e- the differences in email addresses become sort of a non-issue. Then, then you've got a really magical thing. And I've been in those situations when I've been on the, cli- on the client side. I've been on the situations when I've been on the agency side well, as, as well. And the role of a global media director is making sure that that can actually happen. Yeah, that's very good. So let's talk about what you've been calling media sustainability, which I love the idea of that. And I think it's something which you've been championing, I know, for a little while now and trying to encourage the industry to just take a little bit more responsibility about where media dollars go. And it's something that you've been speaking about at conference stages, and it's and it's a really good message. And I know you're lobbying, gently lobbying your peers, you know, your, your other global media leaders in, in other organizations to share that. So explain, explain to us what you mean by media sustainability and what we should be doing about it. Media is, in essence, an ecosystem. You've got the advertiser slash marketer. You've got an agency. You've got publishers. You've got consumers. You've got regulatory bodies, technology, data firms, etc. Right now, when you actually look at it, there is a lot of, uh, I would say, bogeymen out there right now uh, in the sense that there are some there's a dark side to the to the industry. Uh, we've got ad fraud. Uh, we've got unfair payment terms. We've got brand safety issues. We've got uh, consumer data privacy issues. Uh, we've got lack of regulation, uneven regulation. It makes uh, for a healthy, thriving media industry. Uh, it makes it difficult. You know, you could actually argue that ad blocking is symptomatic of this. Uh, system and this ecosystem that is out of whack. Uh, if you have to then sort of say, okay, well, if if we have to accept that this is all a web and it's an ecosystem, then where did these tensions actually start? Um, I think first and foremost, what we've got to accept is that you know we as clients, we are not asking for media costs that are 
unsustainable. We are not asking for payment terms that are equivalent of, you know, using your agency as a bank. If you're saying, look, agency, I expect you to take a loss and a double loss, meaning a loss on payment terms, a loss on, on, on inventory costs and dipping into your value pot. Uh, well, yeah, that's where non-transparent business practices happen. That's where ad fraud becomes a sort of, yeah, I'm not going to see it because, you know, at the end of the day, my client needs to see traffic at a certain CPM level. We've got to actually recognize that there are some dominoes that were dropped first and the people who dropped those first dominoes need to actually acknowledge it. So what we've been pushing for is is this idea of more mutuality. And this is actually absolutely one of our five principles at Mars is making sure that we have mutual operating terms with our agency, with the other partners that we work with in media. Because quite honestly, if you go to that place, then you know, guess what? The rest of the system is going to be infected. Now, this is also going to take some not only bravery from the client side as an individual, but collective bravery. The agencies are also going to need to be brave, too, because guess what? If I'm mutual and the other client's not mutual, well, that also creates tension within the agency holding company, which is going to then have other knock-on effects onto the agency's book of business or their portfolio. So you've got to start saying, like, look, collective better behavior is where we're not trying to get competitive advantage the wrong way. Competitive advantage can't be costed out. Competitive advantage needs to come from brain, not just brawn. Um, And I think that's ultimately where we need to move people over to. We've got to absolutely push for the right things. I think, you know, when you look at all of the things around consumer data privacy, when you look at all of the things around brand safety, They have cost advertisers in their agencies probably millions, if not billions of dollars in terms of time lost. Advertisers and agencies, we cannot be the only people holding this mallet in the game of whack-a-mole. And what we need to do is make sure that industry bodies actually start to recognize that they need to come together and create conditions for better partnership because if we don't, then, you know, there's plenty of bad actors out there, whether they're foreign governments, abhorrent behaviors, uh, regulators will step in, consumers will block things out. You know, there's enough drift away from advertising with the likes of ad blocking and OTT on demand services. We are only going to accelerate it if we continue to embrace these bad behaviors and also if we don't come together. And I think ultimately that's where we need to sort of shine a light as a community of global media directors to say that there's a better way of doing business. And if we don't come together, then quite honestly, these opportunities are going to completely evaporate. And I think there's a, a very good reason to try and recruit support from the wider industry, from your agencies and from vendors. But is it not all a symptom of the race to the bottom on cost? As a company that deals with food, I think the, the perfect analogy here is I can get my cocoa, I can get my sugar, I can get my peanuts and my raw ingredients for Snickers at a really low price. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the quality of the product that I deliver is in the how. Uh, so what we've got to do is focus the same sort of sensibility towards media, which is lowest cost and tonnage is not the answer. 
It's the combination of things. So you've got a huge energy for this, right? A huge passion for this. Where, do, where does that come from? Where do you get your motivation and kind of inspiration from? You mentioned the cycling, which I know is a, is a really important reference point, and that's a passion area. But in the industry, where do you get your information? Who inspires you? What, what also can other listeners and other marketers, your peer network, what, what should they be consuming, seeking out? So I would say that, you know, truth lies advertising around sort of account planning. I would say space race around comms planning, role of data. I would say crackle of change around sort of this very crystal ball way of looking at buying media inventory on a bidding table, which was actually, I think when David wrote this, I was still at the at CARA and this must have been back in 2006, right? We're in 2019 and now all of this stuff. Was is, that what it was? Yeah. That's because I was in the audience. That must have been, that must have been at the 4A's conference then, 2006. Wow. Okay. So it's, you know, this is like yeah. long-term predictions yeah. in terms of, you know, advertisers and the way that industries are shaped. And I'd say that those are like absolutely things that are still in my, you know, dining room bookcase. And I think actually the three of those books are actually seated right next to each other. Um, I really enjoy reading um, Bob Hoffman to keep us industry uh, honest about the industry. I think he has a very good, sarcastic New York take on Madison Avenue and can actually call out BS for being BS. I absolutely love um, Scott Galloway in terms of the way that he provokes people to think about ecosystems and connected business models and how the big four have sort of evolved. I think that it is a industry consciousness that everybody should sort of recognize and saying like, look, you know, what is what is Facebook as an entity? What is Alphabet as an entity? Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. I think that, you know, the more that we look at these things, and I would actually encourage him if he's listening to this to look to China, because that's even more interesting in terms of the conglomerates that are growing there. Um, and there are also some very interesting things that are happening in Europe as well in terms of these media conglomerates. And I think that um, there's really been some very interesting stuff there. Um, I love um, Near AL in terms of really getting into some consumer psychology as well as how it relates to marketing, whether it's advertising or products. I think this idea of, you know, behavioral economics or anything that you can read in that space as it relates to marketing or consumer products is wonderful. Um, and then just in terms of staying up to speed on all things digital um, and the shifting landscape uh, or as everything digitizes, Rob Norman is uh, somebody else um, that I avidly follow and has been somebody that is always a phone call away, which is awesome. Those are great, Rob. So we will link to all of those resources that you just mentioned, probably their books, but also their Twitter and, and their feeds, because I love the idea that everything quickly becomes out of date, right? You just need to kind of pick up on the noise. And these are some really good signals perhaps to pay attention to. So go to mediasnackpodcast.com and we'll, you'll see that we'll link uh, those in the show notes. So looking ahead, I mean, you've got a, quite an optimistic view of, of the industry, uh, which I really enjoy. There's lots of people talking negatively about the industry, but you've always got hope. So I don't need to drag you out of the darkness and ask you to give us hope because you have given us hope. And your focuses, I think, are in really good positive areas, right? Building relationships with 
across the supply chain with great partners, driving for more sustainability. I think you're encouraging us all to be better in the business and, that, and you know, we owe you a thank you for that. Looking ahead, there's still work to be done, right? So when we're sat here in a year's time, what would you like to have seen other change in the industry? What would be really a good step forward? I would love to see the industry bodies start to come together and talk about sustainability and talk about fairness. Uh, that would be my first hope that we would do that. And I, I think that we're starting to see that having sat in both the ANA and also the four A's, I think that the kindling is there. And I think that the right healthy conversations are starting to happen. So I'm absolutely confident that we'll get there with the industry groups. The other thing I'd really like to see is the challenges to a thriving civil society uh, tackle be tackled. So brand safety ad fraud, consumer data privacy. I'd really like to see the industry bodies come together and start working in a common direction. So that would mean that the idea that, oh, we are only representing the interest of X. So IAB only representing the interest of the platforms or the publishers, the ANA and the INISBA only representing and WFA only representing the interests of the advertisers and the agency associations only representing the idea of the agencies. And okay, we're just going to issue papers as a sort of echo chamber and starting to say, hey, guys, we've got to actually come together and create a common platform. Um, and that to me is it's it's that to me is really an, a very easy fix. And that's about creating the forums that are going to make the collective will conscientious and actually activate on it. And I think that's the beautiful thing. Rob Rakowitz, Global Head of Media at Mars. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Who would you like to meet on future episodes? Please let us know at mediasnackpodcast.com, where you will also find previous guests, including leading media executives from companies like P&G, L'Oreal, Mars, and many more. Plus some of the industry's most provocative thought leaders, people like Professor Mark Ritson and Gary Vaynerchuk. You can subscribe to get new episodes each week. And if you liked this episode and you think somebody else would, then please do share it. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>